Listen, not every day, dramatic, trauma-filled, struggle-laced Black love stories. Let's have more representation of simple love stories focused on the character's growth in general and within their relationship. But what do I know? Who does Prince think he is? Like, teenager? (laughs) giving us all this grown advice. I was like, what is going on? Like, everyone's just calling in like, hey, you know, I really, uh, I need to impress someone. <laughs> hey. Uh, and, uh, and he just knows what to say. I was like, okay, Prince, go ahead. <laughs> People sleep on the kids. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Sometimes it's interesting when you talk to a teenager. This is But What Do I Know podcast with Chit Suzanne, a space for affirming, for learning and for healing. A podcast and community where we're exploring our But What Do I Know moments in hopes that it helps you, the listener, overcome yours. You ready? Welcome, everyone, to the two-time award-nominated podcast, the But What Do I Know podcast. I'm your host, Chet Suzanne, and I just want to welcome you all to yet another episode. Shout out to the Black Podcasting Award, an award based in the U.S. for Black podcasters in the U.S. and around the world for, you know, just recognizing and seeing all the work that goes into producing this podcast because, baby, we are putting in work. (laughs) Thank you to the Black Podcasting Awards for nominating us for the Best Black Education Podcast, as well as the Best Black International Podcast. Now, we didn't win, but, you know, we're still going hard. We're still growing and we're going to come again next year. So, but, you know, to be seen, to be recognized for the work that's going into this podcast is just, um, it's just amazing and such a blessing. So appreciate them. Shout out to Black Podcasting Awards. So, you know, with that being said, if this is your first time tuning into this award-nominated podcast, (laughs) welcome. Thank you for stopping by. I hope you enjoy, you know, what you hear on this episode. Be sure to, you know, follow us, like, leave a five-star rating and review on whatever streaming platform it is that you used to listen to this podcast, especially if that is Apple or Spotify. It just lets the algorithm know, hey, people are listening, people are liking it. Let's push it in front of more eyes and more potential listeners. And um, yeah, it just helps us to continue to grow our community. So thank you so much for doing that. If you're already in the know, you're already, you know, rocking with us, you're engaged, you're subscribed, you're getting the notifications bi-weekly. Thank you for sticking around. Like you the OG and we appreciate you. <laughs> um, but yes, and as well, you know, if you follow us on social media or you pay attention to our episode descriptions. You also know that we are starting to put our main segment conversations on YouTube as well. So you can now watch our main segment conversations with our guests. So as long as technology lets us do what we got to do, the visuals are right, the audio is right, we have no hiccups, then y'all will be able to watch most of our main segment conversations on YouTube as well. All right. So, you know, it's Wednesday at the time that this episode is coming out. It's midweek. So I hope y'all are having a wonderful week. I was in much need of escapism, so I went to Philly this past weekend, you know, to to escape, but also for the Afros and Audio Podcast Festival. And when I tell y'all it was what I needed, the city of brotherly love, as they call it, <laughs> it was a good time. It was a good black-ass time at the Afros and Audio Festival. It was just amazing to meet other black podcasters, other black audio creators, Myself and Shirley from the Black Canadian Creators was there. Um, We had Owen and Alex from the Hustle Over Everything podcast, also based in Toronto. They were there. We had Nanaba Duncan, a professor that teaches podcasting and journalism at the University of Carleton, was also there. And our sessions were received well. And we had people, you know, even telling us that they want to help us sort of replicate Afros and Audios in Toronto, you know, help us create a podcast festival here, which is so, so, so needed. So, Yeah, the festival was great. 
um you know look out for some quick clips and reels on ig and um yeah that was that was my weekend it was really good to just sort of get away breathe a different air um and philly was definitely an interesting time all right let's go ahead and get into our clue and segment for this episode All right, so for our clue segment for this episode, we're going to start off with politics. So the municipal elections in Ontario are actually taking place at the time that I'm recording this episode. In the interest of, you know, being able to record, edit, and put this out in a timely manner on Wednesday, October the 26th, I am recording this on October 24th, which is the final day to vote for these municipal elections here in Ontario. So we will talk about the results in our next episode and, you know, sort of give you my thoughts. But um, right now, most of the candidates, especially within the city of Toronto, are campaigning well. Chloe Brown, as I spoke about before, has picked up a lot of steam. She's gaining a lot of recognition. She's She has a certain clip that has gone viral on TikTok. So I'm really, really, really hoping that Toronto pushes and comes through for her because she's a leadership that we really need in this city. So yeah, we'll talk about that in our next episode and see how things, uh, things ended up. But yeah, that's with regards to the municipal elections in Ontario. All right. So another election, but this time in the United States, midterm elections for the United States are coming up on November 8th. So these elections are typically held at the midway point of a president's four year term in office. And so for our listeners in the States, y'all will be voting for your House of Representatives, your senators, as well as governors in most states. So keep your eyes peeled. Make sure that you're registered to vote. Make sure that you're un- understanding all the laws you have made yourself well acquainted with all the candidates, you know, make sure that you are exercising your right to vote. We're hearing about a lot of things with regards to voter suppression. So please, please, please make sure that you're able to vote. Make sure that you know your rights, that you understand the laws within your state and your city. You're registered and that you are ready for November 8th. All right. So November 8th is the midterm elections taking place in the United States. All right. So keeping with the theme of politics, we're going to shift a little to political events, global affairs. Um, and I want to talk about this because I've been keeping an eye on it. I'm reading about it. I'm still trying to understand it, but I think it's important for us to be aware of. And that way you, the listeners, can you know look more into this at your own time. But there have been protests that have been going on in Iran for almost a month now. And, um, you know, We've we heard a little bit about it in mainstream media and then it sort of died down a little bit and I've been keeping an eye on it. And I will admit that it's been a little bit difficult for me to sort of understand the different aspects of it. But from my readings and my research, this is what I was able to find. And so I will put the article, the articles that sort of helped me understand this in this episode description. And I'm still going to read more I will probably revisit this in, in future upcoming episodes. But I think what's important to know is, so these protests, these recent protests that took place beginning the ending of September 2022, they started because of the death of a woman named Masa Amini, a 22-year-old woman who was arrested by the morality police in Tehran, Iran on 13th of September for, you know, she was arrested for allegedly violating strict rules regarding women covering their hair, head coverings, head scarves, and so on. And so, you know, there were reports that the officers had beat her with a baton and footage was sort of released by these officers um, claiming that this woman had collapsed in the police station by way of a heart attack. But shortly after this outrage sparked, lots of people have been protesting the protests have sort of also gained attention in the West. And we're also seeing a lot of protests occurring in the UK, in America, in Toronto, actually. My friend who lives around Young and Shepherd has told me that they've been protesting consistently since about mid to end of September. They've just been protesting and marching around Young regularly. But I think what's important to know here is just that we're seeing a repeated patterns of systems that are failing, especially in government. We're seeing repeated systems of of failure, of oppression, of suppression. And then we're seeing on the other side this sort of trend of people rising up. I think marginalized people, people that have been oppressed, that are just tired, are 
rising up against these systems. And I think it's just something to to keep in mind, to be aware and to know that the world is very connected. What goes on there will somehow affect us here. The uprisings there will trickle into uprisings here, could even encourage revolutions on this side and other parts of the world. So I just wanted to sort of share that, you know, of course, because of the nature of the death of this woman, women are at the lead of these protests. But from what I've been reading, there are there are several articles that are saying that for the first time we're seeing protests that involve various sections of the society of age groups, men, various cities, various towns. And this is just sort of, you know, expanded beyond the borders of of Iran. So I just thought I would bring that to our attention. Like I said, I will put the articles in this episode description so that you can read further. Be aware, read. Um, And then if you're on Instagram, you're seeing posts that relate to this, like, share in conversations. You can even share this podcast to say, hey, this is a good place to start and then read more, right? So I just wanted to, you know, bring that to our attention. this week with regards to the the recent protests that have been taking place in Iran. All right, so it's about that time. We're going to get into some music and I have one music project that I want to share that I want you all to clue into for this week. That is Showdem Camp's Palm Wine Music 3. This album dropped recently. It dropped on September 30th of 2022. I was a little late to get into it, but now that I'm here... I'm here. I'm really enjoying it. I've been a fan of Shodam Camp since I want to say the Palm Wine Express or Palm Wine Music Number One, um, and they just give me this smooth fusion of Afrobeat, rap, R&B, um, and they do it really well. But I want to say when you listen to this album, Palm Wine Music Three, listen to it from top to bottom. If you have, if you're able to change your settings on your streaming platform so that it doesn't skip or shuffle, listen to it in order because there are skits that are included here that add to the whole vibe of the songs. It's just, it's, it's a very cohesive album. So listen to it from top to bottom. Don't listen to it on shuffle mode. And um, some standouts for me are Head Over Heels. The first time caller skit had me cackling in the car while I was driving, <laughs> as well as No Regrets with Malogo. No Regrets is a really good one. Just if I'm driving and it's on, I'm reflecting on my life, the decisions I've made, <laughs> where I'm heading. Um, I really enjoy that one as well. Mine Alone with Oxlade is really good as well. So definitely check out this project. That's Palm Wine Music 3 by Showdem Camp. So with that, we're going to get into our main segment conversation for this episode. Y'all, words can't express how excited I am for you all to hear this. Y'all, Love Radio, the book that I was telling y'all to check out a few episodes back. I got the opportunity to sit with the author, Ebony Liddell. She was amazing. She was so humble despite all the amazing things that she's doing with this book. And we just got to talk to her about the book, about what the book represents, the importance of representation of Black love. And this is perfect for fall. You know, it's cuffing season. So um, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this conversation. All right. So for our main segment for this episode, I am so, so, so excited because every guest that comes on this podcast is special, but I feel like I'm really excited to get into uh, this conversation today. Um, We have, you know, someone that has just been set in the bookstagram, especially Black Girl Bookstagram, ablaze, (laughs) over the last few (laughs) months. Um, And we're going to talk about a book that I, you know, just finished. I had the audiobook and I enjoyed it so much. So listeners, today for our main segment, we have with us Ebony Liddell. Ebony is a marketing and publishing professional by day and a storyteller by night. She is an author who just released her debut book this year in May of 2022, Love Radio. Um, We're going to get into the book in this episode. And by the time we're done, if you don't have a cup in your hands, then I don't know for you. But... uh, But uh, Ebony, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you and to get Thank into you this for book. Having me. Yeah. I Thank you for being on. Like I appreciate you. <laughs> Listen, I, anytime someone is excited 
about my book and wanting to talk to me like if I'm free why not you know yeah for sure for sure um all right so we'll start here let's get into your journey you know um like your intro said marketing and publishing professional by day storyteller by night so how did you sort of what's the journey been like now becoming an author your debut book how'd you sort of get into the space yeah so um it's been it's been a pretty like fun journey if I'm being honest. It's been, it's been trial and error in a few ways, but, um, I, I wanted to, I started wanting to be a writer, then finding out that there is a publishing, like there's a whole corporation and a business behind the business of writing. And so that interests me because I've, I've wanted to, I've always been interested in the business side of things. And so then that sparked my interest to get into marketing in publishing and so I did that for like span of a decade and I just transitioned out um, into full-time author. So it's been very funny to kind of, you know, go through this journey of like the thing that I wanted to do when I was like eight, I'm finally doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but also I, I kind of thought that my plan shifted and I do think to some extent it still has like, I think I always envisioned myself being an author and that was it. And then when I was in college, I started writing. I, I was I was writing like for fun. Um, but then as I got older and older, I just started to get way more and more insecure about my writing. And then I think when I got into publishing, just like based on the conversations on the inside that were not really inclusive. And then also working, starting to work with like writers who were like doing amazing work, I think I sort of got a little bit more insecure um, with my abilities to write a story or have an editor edit a story, even though I've seen it before, you know, like I started to really get into my own head. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting, but then that thing still, it kept bothering me. Like as I was progressing in my career, cause I got to work on some, like a lot of like black writers, a, a lot of black YA writers, um, who like, you know, like big names, like those were a lot of them I got to work with. And it was really great because some of them, I was working with them at the very early stages of their career before any, like before they book even hit like, like stands, you know, before it was in a Target or in a BNN or whatever. Um, And so to see them sort of rise was really inspiring. And I think on the one hand, I really wanted to be a part of that, you know, sort of like literary club. But on the other hand, I was like, oh, no, but I'm not good enough to be a part of it. You know, so I was psyching myself out. Um, But it still kept nagging me to the point that I I just I started looking at like MFA programs. And then I was like, I don't want to spend any more money, you know, like just trying to think of all the things. And it really boiled down to like, Ebony, you just need to sit down and like try to start writing it. And so I think once I gave myself like those liberties to just be able to say, open a Word document, start if you don't like it you can throw it in trash. You can never do this again. You still have this day job that you love. Um, that was when like, I, I was able to actually like put the idea on paper. Mm, okay. So it's funny, your story kind of led into my second question for you. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, um, this podcast is, you know, called, but what do I know? And it's all about, you know, like talking about moments where we felt like, but what do I know about this? And that could be Mm -hmm. for any, you know, facet of life. So, you know, I was going to ask you if you ever had any, but what do I know moments, you know, as it pertains to, you know, your writing career and you kind of touched on it, like getting out of your own head and stuff. But yeah, you know, if you could talk a little bit more about that and then how you overcame those moments. Um, I think, uh, the, the larger thing for me, like the theme is really, um, not just in writing, but in publishing and just being, just being comfortable and speaking my truth. And it seems so small, but like, I was so uncomfortable with the idea of publishing a book because I I knew the type of story that I wanted to write. I, I If I'm writing about like, you know, something that I know a teenager like me would want to read, there's a certain demographic, there's a certain way of talking, there's a certain way of doing things, there are cultural references, there are, you know, family, friendship elements that are going to be unique to that sort of story. But at the same time, I'm also hearing that like, oh, these stories are tough to sell, or these stories are this, or these stories are that, you know, like, it's, it's so much better now in the industry. That was, I'm not saying those conversations are not happening. They're not happening nearly as much as they used to. Um, and I think I was at the beginning stages of like 
shifting those conversations. Um, and I think even in terms of talking about it like this, I don't give myself enough credit to say like, yeah, I was in those meetings with some people and I was actually the one saying like, we need to shift these conversations because of X, Y, and Z. And for me, I'm like, I'm only one person, but if I'm doing it at one publishing house and another person that looks like us is doing it in another, another person publishing house and, and vice versa, you know, like we are slowly but surely changing the culture. Um, and so I think that was my fear was like, I didn't want to speak my own truth in a story because I didn't want it to get rejected. You know, like I don't want to put my heart into something. And then they say like, this is not good enough, quote unquote, for forever, whatever reason. And I didn't feel comfortable for a while speaking my own truth, like on the inside and just being able to say, like, stand up in a meeting and say, no, this is this is incorrect. And this is actually how it is. And these are the reason why the reasons why. And these are the facts. And this is what I know. And feeling comfortable enough to say that and be comfortable in what I know, you know. Um, So, yeah, I think that was my concern. And I think how I overcame it was just peer frustration, you know, like it was a moment of either you're going to not do this anymore or you need to say something, girl, because if you don't like you, like it was really like, whatever. I think it, I, I think I was at that whatever moment, like if this thing bombs, if I get fired, OK, it's cool. At least I'm in marketing. So like I can I can like sell toothpaste, you know, like I just I, I just didn't care at a certain point. And so I think that was when once I started to like and, and also recognizing that I'm not about to go, come in a, a meeting, corporate meeting, just like opening a door, screaming, you need to do this. You know, like I knew what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it. But also I felt like there were times I would say things and either they weren't listening or I would say it. And then like nobody would listen to me, but then someone else would say the exact same that I, the exact same thing that I said. And I'm just like, but I just said that, you know, so it was it was me being able to also like honor my truth and say like, I just, I, yeah, that's what I said before I was interrupted or that's what, you know, like I had to, I had to be the one to advocate for myself in that way. So, um, yeah, that's how I overcame it. Pure frustration and probably rage, pure frustration and rage. And, and I think on the writing side, it was the same thing because once I realized that like I was actually writing a romance set in Detroit about two teens that I hadn't really seen, it was a frustration of like, okay, you keep like waiting for other authors to write this type of story who are not from Detroit, who, you know, don't have the ties to the city in that way. And so why don't you be the person to write it and then other people will write it, you know? Um, so yeah, I would say that's how I overcame those things. I'm just sitting here thinking, cause you said like, I, as you were talking, I was like, mm-hmm, that, that was me. That was me. <laughs> That was me. Oh, that was me too. Yeah, it's always like, the same, right? Same. Like, even even with this platform, you know, you're. you're I, I remember even as I was creating this podcast, I'm like, I'm scared. I want to have these conversations with our community. I want to have amazing Black women on here that share their mm-hmm. work, their truth, their experiences. But it's like, oh, but I don't know. Not that many people are doing it. Not that many people are doing it here in Canada, here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So you know, like, girl, why don't you be the one to start it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Um, no, I definitely, oh, no, what you just said, like, <laughs> spoke to me. <laughs> and even navigating a corporate full-time job and, you know, mm-hmm. having to honor your truth and the things that you say and creating a life of ease to balance out both. Because mm-hmm. congratulations exactly. on making the full-time transition, girl. I'm hoping I can do that, too, in years to come. I, I, I keep at it. No, but seriously. And, and like, kudos to you for doing this, too, because, you know, I, I know a little bit about Canada. Um, and... You know, in a lot of ways, it can be diverse and a lot of good ways. It can be very segregated, too, you know, so um, it's it's always the hardest when you feel like you're one of the first doing it. Mm hmm. For sure. Um, Okay, we're going to get into the book now. Okay. And uh, so Love Radio is a young adult romance novel. Right. So I'm I'm curious, was this a genre that you had always wanted to write? Like, how important was it for you to start off your writing career this way? Like with um young adults, but specifically romance as well? Um, So I think the young adult aspect of it came much easier than the romance. Um, Young adult for me was like, that was when I read a bunch. Um, My mom always took me to the library and that was just like a really great activity for us to do. It was free, you know, like it kept us entertained and it just expanded like my worldview. And so, um, I just always remember that being the point in my life where like literature literally like changed the trajectory of my life. 
And as I got older and I was debating like what I was going to write, I always went back to stories in that age. You know, like I, I always felt really, I found like enjoyment writing stories of like a teenager like me or, you know, me. Um, and I also knew that that was, if my life was changed in that moment, also, you know, you become an adult, you realize adults suck in a lot of ways. And I'm like, you know, like this is, if I actually want to see some like change, this is, this is where I should go. Like, this is where we'll really see it. And so I, and, and while I'm thinking about these things, I'm also like moving up in like publishing corporate America where I could have went two paths. Cause when I started, I started in like a school, like school and library marketing. Um, and that is really like exactly what it sounds like. You are really marketing to teachers and library librarians. And it was a job I didn't necessarily know I wanted or needed, but I was so thankful for because that's how, like, I, that's how I learned about books. So it was nice to be able to think about it in that lens. And then I, and I was working in both adult and children's in school and library. And I had a choice, like I could go adult or I could go children's and an adult opportunity presented itself for me to move up. And so that's the route I took. But it was actually the same going that route. It, like, I felt like adult publishing was so behind in comparison to young adult that like the list, I was a marketer who learned about marketing at a at Howard University at a black institution working at their bookstore. So I knew marketing from the lens of like, oh, I can work on like all these dope black books. And then I move into a publishing industry that is predominantly white. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, I, I can't work on all these black books because where are they? You know, like there are none here. <laughs> and so and then that's when I learned about, you know, different publishing houses and imprints and how, you know, even if it looks like they are, you know, there's a publishing house that's publishing, I don't know, like 10 black books uh, a season or something like that. Um it's like one from each imprint. So like you, if you're working in a specific imprint or division, you're only probably going to work on this one book, you know? Um, and so it just became so exhausting looking at my list of books that I had to work on. And like, nobody looked like me on that list. Nobody looked anything close to me on that list. And that was when I made a choice. I'm going to switch to back to young adult, or I'm going to quit publishing. And so that also made the decision clear, like what type of work I wanted to write, because as I started to market um, a lot of YA authors and see like how they were actually like affecting the teenagers and I got to just work behind the scenes and also talk to the teens. Like it just became all like the more clear that that was the direction I wanted to go. Um, so, yeah, so that was very clear. I think romance was a little bit more difficult because I am in a lot of ways like Danny. <laughs> and um, I, I think I've come into my own as like admitting that I, I like romance and always like romance um, as I was writing Love Radio because I was just like way too into it. And I'm like, girl, like you've been fronting this whole time. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was when it was it became clear. Like, no, I do. I do like this genre. I just had some issues with it when I was younger because of um the types of romances i was reading like who looked like me on the cover no one you know um did some research about like young adult romances and i think the first one came out in like 2006 or something like that like black romance uh for teens or black teens and so i was like oh that's why there was they didn't even exist when i was young enough to read them so um it was just, it was, it was stuff like that that really inspired me to say like, okay, this is the direction that I'm going in and, I, and I'm feeling it. Um, so I'm curious to know, right? They say that, you know, art and creativity is sort of a reflection of our time. So like people will say like, you know, the type of music that's been made from like R&B or whatever is reflective of like mm -hmm. how we like date and interact with people and so on right now. Do you feel like writing the story, were you like hesitant or the, 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 conversations around dating and young love, young black love, did that sort of like change or alter the way that you wrote this book in any way, do you think? Or were you like, nah, I'm shutting all this out, all this $200 date talk and podcast and Instagram no, and I'm writing I think, what I want? <laughs> I think I shut it all out um, because I, I think that so much of my day to day was everything was influenced by everything else. So marketing, everything, it, like so many things, the market can change, like you got to be nimble. Um, you might be going in one direction with your marketing plan and you got to shift it immediately. You know, like it, it, everything had to be, it, everything had to be of the times. Like you had to always find a connection to what was happening in the moment. 
to try to sell this product in some way. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was learning a lot in that regard, but also like part of, I think what worked well for me was just like going with my gut in some ways, like also just understanding the audience and knowing the community. And so that's how I applied, like the community aspect is what I applied to my writing. I always felt if I, um, I couldn't write what I wanted to write, then I wasn't going to write. That was my, that was sort of my rule for myself. And so I had query before, got rejection, rejected. I don't think the story was enough of this or enough of that because of the times, right? Again, when we talk about the times. And so I was like, okay, that's fine. I know what I could write because I, I know the market and I know what people are saying in the meetings and the type of books that they want to buy. I know I could do that, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to sacrifice my art. I don't want to sacrifice this one thing that I, I felt like I had control over. And it's like, if, if as an artist, like only me and like a couple friends know about my art, cause I might write a sweet note to them. <laughs> like then that's fine. You know, that's fine. But I wasn't sacrificing anything. So as I was writing love radio, it was really like just everything that I was feeling, um, like in terms of my nostalgia for like, my family, my friends, the young love, like growing up in the city, you know, like those were the things that inspired me. The music was, you know, very much music was always an inspiration to my life. And so I wanted to kind of honor that in the book and I wasn't changing. And if, and I was like, if, it, if this don't work, then if this don't work for them. Like if we take it out and nobody understands it, they don't feel it, then it's fine. Like I, I'm proud that I did it, you know? Yeah, no, I'm glad that you did it because like I said, the the book is just going off on Bookstagram. I love it. The girls want to read it this fall. I have a few friends I've shared it with. We're going to talk about it. We're going to start <laughs> a little book club. So like, no, I think that honestly, from just hearing everything you said, you have found a balance between like figuring out that business of market in the book and not compromising your art and the process of like writing and developing the book and creating the community um, that you sort of want to get out of it. So now, nah, kudos to you for sort of finding that balance, because that's something that a lot of creatives sort of like struggle with is that struggle between like creating mm. and then like marketing and the business of it. So, yeah, um, oh, let's get you. into the. Yeah, yeah, no worries at all. Um, <laughs> I want to get into the process of you writing this book. Um, what mm. came first? Did the characters come first? Did the plot line come first? And then you sort of like mm. sort of imp- put it the characters like how did you sort of write it um so the so the the way the book was structured and I, and I love that I'm able to say this here because it is a black woman that I'm about to shout out um so in terms of the plot the plot is based off of what uh is called like IP um intellectual property and it is from a packager so there are these things called packagers that authors can use it's it's similar in some ways to like writing for Marvel or something like that. Like you will write for a company that gives you like a very short like summary of like, here's what a book is about or wh- what a book can be about. And then you have to write the story into it. And so I ended up working with uh, Danielle Clayton. She's the author. She's the author of numerous books, um, but she has been around for a minute. Um, she writes YA middle grade and her packager is called Cake Literary or Cake Entertainment. Sorry, it was rebranded. Um, and so I started, I, and the reason why I ended up doing that was because, again, when we talk about stories and wanting to write the story that you wanted to write, I felt like I, one of the gatekeepers of publishing is literary agents. And the thing about having a literary agent, it's, it's great, but and, but and it's great when you get one because it's not one of those things that you have to pay for. Like they represent you and they get paid on commission. So they are going to go out and sell your book because it helps them, right? The problem with that is they get paid on commission. So you are asking people to not have a salary to do this for a living. And so what does that mean? It means that there are a certain type of people that tend to work in that space. There, as people who financially they're okay, you know, or they have a spouse that can support them. And so they can kind of like build up their list and build up their money to be comfortable. And so a lot of, there weren't a lot of literary agents of color. Like it's like we're getting more, but it was, it was pretty grim. And so a lot of black authors like Nicola Yoon, E.B. Zavoy, to name a few, 
went through packagers, whereas like the project was their project, but they were working with someone who kind of knew enough about the market to know like, okay, this is the direction we'd go. Like if you wanted to write a romance, we'll help you, we'll guide you in like how to write. It's like, and I don't want to call it a fast track MFA because I don't want anybody to get upset. It's not to, you know, it's just as an example, it is sort of like a school in a sense where they are helping you write this story. Um, And as a debut author, I knew that I wanted sort of a mentor, which I like to think about it. And so there were a lot of packagers out there, but I wanted a black packager. And so going with Cake to me was the best route. So she pitched it to me as YA Hitch meets Fault in Our Stars. Um, I mean, Sun is also a star. Oh my gosh. Where uh, uh, a guy who gives love advice and a girl who is not interested fall in love, right? And I was like, oh, bet this is it. You know, like I could do this easily. And so that, cause I was like, I was not, I was never interested in a dude. Like, I, you know, I like, I, I thought guys are cute, but I'm just like, you are, you're immature. We're going to break up in two weeks anyway. Like this ain't going to work. Let's just not, you know? Um, and so that's where the characters came first for me, like immediately. Um, Danny, I was like a girl who's not checking for a guy. That's me all day, you know? So that's going to be easy. She is going to, you know, like Danny is going to be in her head all the time, writing in her journals, doing her own thing. Um, and so once she was established, then I was trying to figure out, okay, who is this guy going to be that is going to convince this girl who is very hard headed about not wanting to be with the guy that no, but you should, you should still give me a shot. And so Prince was just really just came out of like, dang, he's got to be like the most charming, cute, this, this, this guy ever, you know what I mean? For her to be like, all right, I'm caving. Um, and that's where he came about. So, so it, I definitely am a characters driven writer. Um, and then I was trying to figure out like, okay, how Prince was going to give the advice. And I just didn't want it to be like social media. I didn't want it to be, and one, I was trying to decide if I wanted him to have a platform to give advice or if it would just be his friends. And I thought a platform would be cute, but I, I felt like social was like the, you know, like the standard way. And, um, and so then that's when I thought of the radio and growing up listening to the radio and listening to like all the morning shows and all the advice and all the segments they would have. And I was like, okay, Prince could, have his own show and that would be cool because he could actually like dish out decent love advice for a change you know and be a teenager doing it and so that once that happened then that's when the setting came along and i was like okay detroit like i'm i'm literally painting a picture of something that was from my childhood i can't not write about it and you know and i can't write about it and not write about the city it came from So here on the Bawaduano podcast, we spend a lot of time discussing ways to overcome doubt and imposter syndrome, as well as ways to equip ourselves with the tools to navigate various aspects of our life, from our careers, to our finances, to our personal relationships. Now, one big tool that can help us do this is therapy, which y'all know we've talked about several times with several guests on this podcast. So if you're working through the complexities of any but what do I know moments in your life or if any of our mental health episodes really resonated with you and you want to dig deeper into that or if you feel like you just want to talk to a licensed professional on any other matter, then our episode sponsor BetterHelp might just be what you need. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you work through your specific matter. In addition, you can talk to your therapist in a private and secure environment online, as well as at your own convenience. BetterHelp has over 20,000 therapists with a broad range of expertise within their network, which means that you have access to help that you may not be able to find locally. So to begin, you fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then in as little as 48 hours, you'll be matched with a therapist. After this, you can schedule secure video and phone sessions, and everything you share with your therapist is completely confidential. You can even request a new therapist at no additional charge anytime if you feel you need to make that change. So go ahead and join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health 
with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. To do this, you can get 10% off your first month by using the link betterhelp.com backslash B-W-D-I-K. That's betterhelp.com slash B-W-D-I-K. Amazing, because I was going to ask you, <laughs> girl, I was like, is, wait, are you OK? Like, <laughs> I'm great. Malfunction. Are we good? I was finding my words. I was like, girl, this is such a Toronto thing to do, girl. Um, <laughs> um, I love it. Because I was going to ask you where the radio came from. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm such a, you know, like podcast, radio, audio, like mm-hmm. I love that medium for sharing stories, for giving advice, for having conversations. So I was like, where did the radio idea come from? Like love on air, love radio. Like where did she get that and from? You know, so I, it, yeah, it, so it, it definitely came from that. And I think it was like, um, I think I was just missing the radio too. Like now that I think about it, because I lived in New York at the time. And so I was taking the subway and, you know, like, New York radio, but to be on the subway and like not have any internet access and you can't really listen to the radio. Like New York radio is a hoot. It is so funny, like just just ridiculous all the time. And so anytime I would remember to listen to the radio, I would listen to it. Um, but I started to do research like after I kept after that idea kept coming to me. I was like, I feel like this is this might be too dated. And then I did research and realized like, no, Ebony, like you're in a sort of a bubble, whereas Teens are still listening to the radio. It's just you have more options now. So it's like, all right, today I might listen to the radio. Tomorrow I might listen to a podcast. You know, Thursday I might listen to an audiobook. Um, but I didn't have a car, so I, I just I kind of forgot about that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think because it was it came to my head so easily, I think I think I missed it a little bit. Yeah, no, that was that was such a really nice like addition to it. Like you said, giving him that platform to sh- to um share his advice. And also, can I just say like who does Prince think he is? Like teenager <laughs> giving us all this grown advice. I was like, what is going on? Like everyone's just calling in like, hey, you know, I really, uh, I need to impress someone. <laughs> hey. Uh, and, uh, and he just knows what to say. I was like, okay, Prince, go ahead. <laughs> People sleep on the kids. Man. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Sometimes it's interesting when you talk to a teenager and, like, I think it's what I like about YA writing in general. Like, sometimes less is more, you know? Like, kill all the fluff, get to the meat, get to the point. And sometimes a teen will say something, and you like, dang. Like, you just, because it, it's just, it's so honest, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think we get older, and, and people get, like, extra emotional and extra sensitive, and you got to be mindful of how you speak to people. And, but I'm like, if you're if you're saying something and it's coming out in love, like, I just don't think a lot of people are, they're just ready to hear the truth, you know? So I felt, um, I felt Prince could do it. And, and given like his backstory and everything that he was also dealing with, like, I feel like he was so equipped and, you know, we all had like that friend or two who was like the old soul. And I was, I was the old soul friend. Like I was the old, I was the old woman as a kid. Um, (laughs) Shout out to the, to the grannies and who were like 12 and 13 but that was me okay I was up under my grandmother like just all the time so I think I've had those qualities um so yeah I wanted to kind of I wanted to play up that too in the story yeah no that was yeah that was one of my favorite parts I was like wow Prince okay (laughs) tell the people them the advice um (laughs) so with the cities um Mm -hmm. this story is set in Detroit um and then Danny is sort of interested in going to school in New York. Mm-hmm. And those are both two cities that, you know, you've sort of experienced. Um, mm-hmm. So what role did those this sort of like choosing the cities as the setting for the story? Like what role did that play? Yeah. So. Um, so, again, with Detroit, like I said, radio kind of pulled in the Detroit element. And I think that. There was also this element of, um, so I lived in, basically my parents were divorced when I was pretty young and they essentially had joint custody of me. And so I would spend my summers, um, with like one parent and my like 
school years with another. So for the most part, I spent my school years with my mother and my summers with my dad or like summers and holidays. But then when I got into high school, um, for a lot of different reasons, um, made a decision to move to Vegas where my dad was and then spend my summers in Detroit with my mother. And Vegas was just an interesting experience for me because it was just culturally like, like a drought. (laughs) Um, and for me, like what I was used to, I was used to living in a predominantly black, like neighborhood and city my whole life. Then I'm switching to a completely different like way of living. Um, mostly white school, mostly white area. And then also like, I'm in sort of like the, like honor classes with teenagers who were just like, does not understand like, you know, this black girl from Detroit coming in here and also being smart. Like it it just was too much, you know? Um, And so, but I, and so I think I always like kind of envision, like when I would go out for the summers, I'd hang out with my friends and like their classmates and like do stuff. And I would be like, I I really wish that I had this experience in high school. Like I kind of wish I swapped, but um, I think it's fun because I do think writing sometimes is just, you know, dealing with those like feelings that you have in some ways. And so I, I wanted to sort of rewrite a, a story in which I got the very thing that I wanted because it was something that I really missed, you know? But I also, in the same time, like I, I do recognize the importance of me going there because I went there, I, you know, when I got to like be with my father and my sisters and that was really game changing. But also I don't think if I would have stayed in, if I would have stayed in Michigan, I don't think I would have went to Howard. Um, and that to me, like, is the reason why I'm a writer today, you know? So I think everything happens for a reason. And I, and so I was a really nervous a little bit to write about Detroit. Cause I'm like, I haven't been there since like high school, like the summer before college, like for an extended, extended period of time. And I don't think I should write it. But at the same time, like I remember waiting when I was in publishing for like a book to come in from like an author from Detroit. And I would be like, oh, if that's coming in, I'm working on it. Like I know exactly what to do. I know all the things, blah, blah, blah. And it just, it never happened. And so that was what sort of forced me to um, say, okay, Ebony, like again, just write it. And if it's not popping, you can, ta- you can have your family look at it. I have my, my family is very honest. So like I had them look at it and they're like, Ebony, like, what, why are you tripping? It's fine. Like chill. You're fine. Like stop overthinking this. And I'm like, you're right. You know, but that's, you know, that's you overthinking anything new you do. Right. Um, and then New York, because that was just always a childhood dream of mine. All of the writers were in New York. They were doing, you know, literary parties and doing this and doing so I always glamorize like being a writer in the city. Um and it's interesting now because I, I do think that was a big part of the culture. And and New York is still it still has that allure, but um I do love that with COVID, like jobs are not necessarily in New York. Like really dope jobs don't necessarily have to be in New York. You can be remote. And I think authors are also starting to like move out of New York to sort of plant themselves in different places across the country, like home for them and like create these little literary pockets, which I think is way more effective than having like all of us in this, on this one Island, you know? Mm, That's a really good point. Yeah. Like kind of spreading it out. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you, you develop these two characters. We have Prince Jones, we have Danny Ford and um, they're both young adults dealing with a lot of complex, you know, life situations. Um, I, I think that they're both sort of like wise beyond their years almost. Um, you know, you got Danny who's a little, you know, you can't check for me. Like, who are you? <laughs> and, you know, Prince has to sort of work for her attention and they're both trying to give romance a chance, right? It's a really beautiful storyline. Um, and I'm wondering where did you sort of draw the inspiration for their growth and for mm-hmm. how they sort of overcame their challenges? Like you had Prince with his family dynamic and having to help his mom and his brother. And then you had Danny overcome what happened to her at a particular party. And that sort of becomes sort of the thing that kind of ties them together in a little bit, like how mm-hmm. they deal with that and the way that they sort of like then uh, find, um, I guess, a safe space in each other almost. Yeah. So, yeah. How did you sort of like develop that, like that sort of growth in them through those things? 
You know, I um so one it was figuring out like the like the characters and like, you know, the, the people that were present in their life and I just I I kept having the setting um like really was game changing for me especially when I knew I wanted to do Detroit because I knew I wanted to do two things. I wanted to show like the beautiful sides of the city, the sides that I grew up experiencing just as much as the difficult parts of it, but I could not have the difficult parts on the page. So I, you know, I had them there because they, they deserve to be, it's, it's important. You can't understand how, you know, two black teens love without knowing like everything that molds and shapes them, you know, the people in their life where the setting, you know, all the things that they're dealing with, um, the external factors. And so as I was writing in like, okay, I mean, this is typically what happens to a teenager. These are stories I've heard all the time, you know, like this is happening, this is happening, that's happening. And I'm writing all this in and I'm like, it makes sense for the story, but also like how the heck are like, one, it just speaks to how resilient we are. But I was also thinking about um, like conversations that I've been having with friends specifically, like friends that become your family or like cousins. And you're talking about um, like shared experiences growing up and how you have one had to deal with the fact that like some of that shared experience was trauma and two, how do you overcome it? You know, even, even with, I think in thinking about like trauma and how you overcome it, you, you look at like your parents and your grandparents and your great grandparents. And you're like, for years, you're like, Oh, but they had it so much worse. So like, I should be grateful, you know, and not saying, yeah, but like some of that stuff carried through, like, and it's affected you and how you have also navigated your relationship. So how, how do you fix that? And so thinking about those conversations, I thought of, okay, what are some like tools that a teenager could have to start them? You know, like if me and my friends had these things coming out of high school, would we have been farther along and how, you know, and why, and like what growth would we have experienced even more and more so, you know, like, it's 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 open ended whether or not Danny and Prince stay together. I know fans are like, why are you doing that? But I made it that way because they're young, you know. <laughs> like so many things could happen. Um, but you are seeing that growth begin. Like they are coming into adulthood and they are being smarter about the decisions they make for themselves, how they think about each other, and and that's what I wanted to show. Like these are steps to being an adult. You don't turn eighteen and you are just like I have it completely. We, I'm still figuring it out, you know. Um, but as long as you're like building those steps to be better every day, like that is how you become a better person. That is how you become a better significant other. That is how you have a healthier relationship. So um, that was like my inspiration was trying to figure out small things that could help them like just build to be better. That's so beautiful. And it's funny you mentioned the um the end of the book because I remember I was listening to it and I was like, okay, they're definitely gonna end together. Like she's feeling Prince, da-da-da. Also, Prince taking out that scene, well, scene, because I imagined it in my head. Um, when he was taking out her braids, I was like, mm-hmm. wow, look at young black love. This is cute. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's so like when I got every, to that's like everybody's saying, it was so fun. I I knew when I wrote it, I was like, oh, I might have something here. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I was listening to it and it got to the end, I was like, Ebony, don't do me like this. Because <laughs> I'm a tease a little bit. I'm just, I'm a be. <laughs> so will we have it's a part two? Interpretation. You know, yeah. like some of my favorite books, like they end and you like, why would you do that to me? Like, so I wanted to, I mean, I don't think mine is like that. Like, I think it's, it's clear. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's also like I didn't give you anything after that. You know, that's it. Like there right. was closure. It's just like you people want like more details, and it's just like, but that, but that to me was the closure. So I felt like that was the great place to end it. Right, and hearing you say that, you know, this was sort of the stepping stone to their mm-hmm. journey as adults. I like that. I, I, I'm happy with that ending. So thanks oh, thank for that you. explanation. <laughs> I'm gonna. I need to use this in the future, so I'm, I need to remember that. <laughs> um, okay, so my final question, you know, on the book and everything is, um, this again is a really positive representation of black love, of young black love. So, 
you know, not to add any pressure, because I feel like as black people, as black women, when we're operating in certain spaces that there are not a lot of representation, then we have mm-hmm. this weight on our shoulders. Like, I got to represent for the whole love, like for everyone. So, you know, did you think about this while you were writing? Because this is definitely a beautiful story, you know, to have represent like, you know, the beginning of growth of, of young black love. Um, mm-hmm. But did you think about that? And um, did you feel any pressure at all while you were writing it? Like, damn, I got to make sure this is perfect and it has to end the right way. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I felt more pressure about writing about Detroit than I felt about writing about like two black teens. Uh, just because I'm, I'm, I'm black. Like I, I'm black, you know, like I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I've talked about this in a few different settings and, I just felt comfortable with the book. My biggest concern was not that like, is this book black enough? Quote unquote. It was more like, is a publisher going to buy this book? Cause it might be a little too black, you know, like it, it it might, it might be a little too much for them, but this is the type of work that I want to write. So there was no pressure. And I don't even like for like future projects and ideas, like one of the things that I always plan to do is make sure like, a black woman is at the center of my narratives. Um, that's, that's for me. That's it. Um, that's, that's most important. And so that's what all of my stories will have, you know, different variations of like different experiences of the black woman. And I, cause I just feel like, you know, we need more like, like true representation. And I'm not saying, and we have a lot of it already. And I love that, but there's a lot more that we can have. And so I'm just trying to lend like my version of that to these stories. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't. Yeah, it, it wasn't. Um, I, and, I, and I think part of that also is just because I was a, I was well read, you know, like I saw the stories that were being published and, and I and I have to give credit to that. Like I have to give credit to black authors who were kind of like um, changing and shifting the landscape of like what could be published because they had to fight to get published way more than I did, you know? Um, they sort of like rolled out the carpet so that I can be a participant. So I'm, I'm very, very grateful to that. And I, I do think that that was part of the reason why it, it did feel easier to write this story and to attempt to get it published was because I'd seen what was out there. Okay, well, I'm happy to hear that, you know, you didn't feel too much pressure. You weren't like, dang, I gotta write this this way, that way. Uh, but I, I, mean, I just wanted to be, I just wanted to be good. Like that was the pressure. It was like, Ebony, don't embarrass yourself. <laughs> like, that's what I don't want to do. <laughs> that part. <laughs> because you work in this industry. So it was like, okay, if it bombs, then you got to go back to work and you're going to be like, Ooh, that was that one girl that she, uh, y'all read that book. Like that was, that was more of my fear was that like, dang, I'm gonna have to probably um, market toothpaste if this is horrible. And I'm like, a laughing stuff. So, yeah, um, that That's was it. so funny. Um, yeah, at least if you're a market in toothpaste, I don't know why I just can't put a corny joke, but maybe love, love is in the tube. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry. The book is great. Yeah, okay. You ain't got to market <laughs> toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I also just want to thank you for, you know, a book well written. Um, it is such a beautiful positive representation even through their the challenges that the characters went through the story was very enjoyable i liked it i've shared it um you know instagram has been raving about it that's how i sort of caught wind of it and yeah like every day i go once you put in the hashtag love radio girl what's up everyone's like taking a picture of the book and the sunlight taking a picture of the book on your shelf Wait till I get my physical copy. Like y'all, it's I, gonna be love radio. I, no, I, I'm laughing because I'm I'm just a shock. <laughs> like I'm just like, why are y'all doing? Like it's it's I'm I like, and I I think I have a special um, because it's not like I did anything particularly like I in terms of marketing myself, I suck. Right? Like I'm I'm realizing that I do really well amplifying other people more so than amplifying myself. We all have, you know, our, our things. That's mine. I've come to realize it as I was marketing for Love Radio that like to the point where like friends were texting me like, Ebony, you need to post it. Like people in the industry were like, you need to, you need to post this. And I'm just like, fine, leave me alone. You know, like, cause they knew me. Um, so I know like how hard it is to get so many people to read a book and like 
post about it, number one, like even take the time and to write a thoughtful review. And I just, I've been completely overwhelmed at like, not just the post, not just the selfie, it's a long review where people will say, I don't even usually post a selfie with a pic, like with a book or like just like people are doing like things, like special things for Love Radio. Um, I'm just so grateful for that because it it trips me out each time. No, for sure. Yeah. And we're grateful for the book. Like I said, book well read and, um, you know, congrats on how well the book is doing. Um, So will your next book be a romance book or is it too early to ask that question? (laughs) Um, I will say it's that's it's looking like a yes. And that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. All right. (laughs) Um, Okay. well, thank you so much, Ebony, for, you know, being on this episode, for having this conversation with me. Listeners, go and check out Love Radio. It's available anywhere you can find a book from Audible to Apple Books. It's everywhere. Google Play Books. Like it's everywhere. Um, You can get the physical copy. You can get the audio book. So make sure you go and get your hands on Love Radio. Um, so Ebony, we're going to switch segments just a little bit. We like to, okay. you know, end of the podcast, getting to know the lighthearted fun side of our guests. We already got okay. to know a little bit about that with you, but um, <laughs> we're going to ask you four fun questions and, you know, without thinking too hard, just give me the answer that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. This is, I hate these because I always think too hard. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. First one, uh, favorite genre of music? Um, R&B. Mm, love it. Yes. Yep. Right answer. Um, are you the life of the party or the homebody? No, I'm homebody. Like, yeah, you got to drag me out the house. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so when you do make it out and you're at a party, what is your favorite dance move? Like, what move are we hitting them with first? A, a dance move? Oh, uh, I don't... Uh... I don't know. I think I do. I think I do the one hand thing. Like if I'm whatever I'm doing, like one hand is probably going to go up in the air at some point. Okay. 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 So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and final question, what would you do with a million dollars? A million dollars? Um, Buy a house. Yeah. I was about to say, <laughs> so not like, like you could do much not, inflation, not, like, you know? <laughs> I, mean, I, know. I mean, well, buy. Uh, put a down payment on a house so that I can be inside all the time. That's what I would do. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, I I, I, these answers, I actually answered them pretty fast. Yeah, this is good. I was like, okay, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. You warm me up. You're such a good, you're such a good host. Like you just got me going. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Ebony, once again. Before I let you go, you know, just share your socials, your website, and you know where people can connect with you, buy the book, all that good stuff. Yeah, so I am at Ebony Liddell on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook, uh, EbonyLiddell.com on my website. You can find out upcoming events and everything and whenever I drop news about book two, um, whatever that is. Um, And yeah, that's it. And you can, like you said, you can find the book wherever books are sold. For sure. All right, Ebony, thank you for being on this episode once again. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you. So with that, we are at the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ebony about the book Love Radio, you know, getting into it, the characters, the representation, and even getting some exclusive info on a potential sequel or a next book to come. Um, It was honestly great to have this conversation with Ebony. So I hope you all enjoyed it. As always, be sure to continue the conversation on our socials at BWDIK Podcast on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure, however you can, you get your hands on Love Radio and check out the book, drink your water, mind your business, and as always, you will hear from me real soon. Bye for now.
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.